school my name is phil lichtenberger and thanks to my dad i have been in the scanning hobby since about the time that i could walk my grandfather and my uncle always had a scanner going in their homes and their love and knowledge of scanning was passed down to me our mission here on scanner school is to take my lifetime of knowledge of scanning and pass that on to you so if you are new to the hobby or a seasoned user we aim to bring you something new each and every week here on the podcast. And we've got plenty of questions that have been coming in. You guys have been doing a great job at leaving voicemails at 516-308-2885 or going over to scannerschool.com slash ask and submitting in a SpeakPipe voicemail or even just typing in your questions. As a reminder, for those of you who do use the voicemail numbers to leave us a question, we'll put you in the running for a free tutoring session that will be given away at the end of this podcast because I'm answering more questions today. I'm also answering more questions tonight over on YouTube. So if you want to catch us live, you want to ask another question, you can go to scannerschool.com slash YouTube tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern U.S. time. And also, if you've checked out the YouTube channel lately, You'll notice that I'm answering even a lot more questions. We've been releasing YouTube shorts and two-minute tech tips on top of the weekly podcast content. Those two-minute tech tips aim to answer a specific scanner radio little tidbit in under two minutes. And of course, our shorts are there to answer a question in 60 seconds or less. So right now, let's get on to the first question of the month. Hey, Phil, Bob Brooks, Algonac, Michigan. My question is when a favorites list is created through the range function in Sentinel, it pulls in a lot of the statewide trunking system, pulls in a lot of counties and just throws them in that list. It looks like it tries to go through them when it's scanning. Um, and I click avoid on those and when they do pop up real weak. Should I just remove those from the list? Is it slowing down the scan to have those in the list? Should I physically remove anything from the list that's not being monitored as opposed to just setting an avoid? Love the podcast. Thanks for all you do. And I just became a Patreon member and met you uh, last Tuesday night in the uh, extra credit session. So uh, have a great day, Phil. Hey, Bob, great question. And first and foremost, thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter. It's been uh, really great getting to know you and also seeing you over the last, uh, I guess, uh, this this uh, message came about a month or two or so ago. So, uh, again, thanks for being a part of the community for, uh, for a couple months now. Um, to go backwards on your question here, should you just remove it out of your scan list or set to avoid? At that point, it's kind of one of these deals that, it's not doing any harm leaving it in your scanner if you've set it to avoid. Uh, being the fact that it's it's in there, 
it's not being scanned either way, uh, whether you remove it or you leave it in there and set it to avoid. It's just not part of the scan list. But what really can make a difference here is if you go ahead and you're in that system and you set the scanner for ID search mode. Now, in theory, what should happen here is that the scanner should find the active ID and if it's loaded or part of that scan list, it should find that definition and then show you the alpha tag of that talk group ID. So if you avoid it and you're doing ID search mode and it, the scanner comes across that ID, it should show you who that is. If you completely remove it from the scan list, then there's no reference to it. There's no way for the scanner to know what that talk group is. So if you're doing an ID search mode, the scanner comes back up blank. The other thing we're looking at is memory space. Now, these micro SD cards that we are putting into our Home Patrol style scanners, they will hold more information on them than I think we could throw at them with the database. I mean, we can easily throw in the national database, all 50 states, every county, every town, every trunk system, and still have plenty of room in there to do logging and recording and everything else. So creating these uh, these favorites lists that, sh that are basically text files, by the way, they are, they're tiny, they're text files, they're kilobit sized files. I, I don't really think it, it's tying and eating up too much memory to put them in there. Now it does affect your scanner's ability to speed things up though, when you have a lot of stuff in there you just don't want. So if you are scanning via a range and you're putting in trunk sites or systems that are just too far physically for you to monitor due to RF restrictions, then yeah, you're, you're, you're slowing up the scanner, so to speak. For example, where I am here on Long Island, if I look at my neighboring county, Suffolk County, there is a big circle around Suffolk in the radio reference database. This circle goes all the way into Connecticut, which basically means that if somebody's in Connecticut and they put their range to zero, the scanner's going to try and scan everything in Suffolk County, more or less. Their handheld radio with their handheld antenna is no way, no how going to cover South Shore of Long Island in that part of Suffolk County. But it goes into the scanner anyway because of the range. It's showing up in radio reference that's going to be covered by there. Uh, the other thing to look out for as well is different transmitters have different power output settings. Now, if somebody went into radio reference and they set up each uh, subtopic or subcategory correctly and set the ranges correctly, they would shrink down the range of each one of those subcategories. But there might be, say, for example, I, I don't know, I'll pick, I'll pick where I am, right? Again, there's Nassau County fire and then there's the 6th battalion the 6th battalion is a subcategory and it has a smaller circle out around it than all of Nassau County just to cover the 6th battalion but there's departments inside of those inside of that battalion and their ranges are even smaller or could be larger so the range function I think is great while traveling but I think if you're going to program your scanner, we have to get out of the idea of using ranges. Ranges are a good way when traveling and you don't know the landscape. But if you know what's going on and you know what it is you want to do, ditch the ranges. Go into Sentinel, program your favorites list, program in what it is exactly what you want to set up in there. Set that up for a favorites list. Set that up as your profile. 
and go to the races and go to town on that. So are you hurting the scanner? You're not running out of memory. Uh, if you're going to do an ID search mode, it's going to help you out. You might be slowing up the scanner if you're sending it to look for sites that are you know, on the fringe areas or outside of your coverage. Or even if you're looking for sites that you're never going to listen to anyway because you've locked out that service type. So, and again, to, to jump in on that as well, we can have different layers on a trunk system. Again, I know by neighboring county, all the fires on the 700 layer, all the PD and county services are on the 800 layer. So if I'm scanning between 700 and 800 and all I'm looking for is police departments, I'm wasting my scanner's time and resources going to the 700 layer if the PD talk groups are never going to be down there. So a little bit of knowledge and the lay of the land can really help you programming and being more efficient when it comes to your scanner. Great question, Bob. Thank you so much for asking it. And thank you for being a newly minted Patreon supporter. Stand by because somebody is going to win a free tutoring session at the end of this podcast episode, and I don't want you to miss it if it's going to be you. All right, let's go on now to our next question that comes in from another Patreon supporter, Chris. Chris, go ahead and take it away. Hi, Phil. This is Chris Paris asking about the Whistler Spectrum Sweeper mode. I know that you have done some tests and you prefer the Whistler Spectrum Sweeper over the unit and close call function. And even though I have several Whistler radios, I really don't use the Spectrum Sweeper that often, but decided to give it a try and ended up with a couple of questions I thought you might be able to help. First, how do you set the mode that the unit is receiving? In other words, I think it's normally set to auto, so I would assume it would automatically detect NXDN or DMR or P25. But my unit seems to not do that. It seems to just stay in analog all the time and just passes digital noise when it gets to NXDN or DMR. It does seem to detect P25 okay. Uh, the second question is, on the menu for the Spectrum Sweeper, where you select which bands you want to sweep, there's this box called Special Mode. Can you tell me what that's for and how you use it? Thanks. I'll be looking forward to your answer. Hey, Chris. As usual, a very, very great question there. And of course, now I've kind of got a little bit of egg on my face. You see, because when I was playing around with my, with my TRX-1 and I had it in Spectrum Sweep Mode, I was playing around with it and it was working great in analog. And it was working good in P25. And it was picking up the control channel for my local DMR uh, transmitter that's a couple blocks away from my house that's used by the local water company. Now, because I was listening to that DMR control channel, I'm like, oh, it's working for DMR. But I wasn't actually using it to decode any voice transmissions. So I grabbed my Anytone 878 and I was just playing around with Simplex DMR and noticed, wait a second, the scanner's stopping on that frequency, but it, it is, sounds like it's just digital noise. Something's not working right here. So I went in there and I hit tune and I tuned to that frequency. And this is when I started giving my little aha, I made a mistake moment, which you don't get many of those. <laughs> so what ended up happening was I went into the tune mode and I scrolled down and I was able at that point to force the uh, scanner to go into DMR and NXDN mode as well as X2 and P25, I think. Once I did that, I was able to listen to DMR in tune mode. So I started digging around a little bit more. Okay, well, it looks like you're right. It looks like when you go into spectrum sweeper mode, it's P25 and analog. 
All right. Well, that doesn't really do us any good when we're trying to find DMR. So let's try and figure out a workaround here, right? And this is what I did. I created a spreadsheet. This isn't elegant, by the way, but this works. And this will also work well for other scanners, which is why it's a really great solution here. So if you've got a unit in radio that does DMR or P25 or NXDN, right? Follow these directions right here. So what I did was I created a spreadsheet and I put in my ranges. Okay, so I made a range from 450 to 460 and 460 to 470. Just to play, play around with a little bit there. You can make the ranges larger to smaller. And I made these ranges my scan lists or my search banks or whatever you want to call them, right? I programmed in, basically, I started at 450 and I added 12.5 kilohertz to that. So you had 450.125, et etc., etc., et all up the line, right? Till I got to 460. And then I kept on going, right? Because I went from 460 to 470. And I copied that information from the spreadsheet and I pasted it over into EasyScan. Again, you can copy and paste over to Butel Software. You can do this into Sentinel. You can do this in ProScan. Whatever you're using to program up your Uniden or Whistler scanner, you can follow along. And I set these up to be automatic, which again means analog or P25. I then took the same scan list and copied them again. And I set these up to be DMR. And of course, I named the scan list 450 to 460 DMR. And then you can rinse, wash, repeat, and do the exact same thing for NXDN. So what does this mean? This means we have a very non-elegant solution that we can put our scanners into search mode, which is really just scanning every frequency in, in 12.5 kilohertz steps. But we've forced the mode here. We forced the mode into analog P25, DMR, and NXDN. The cool thing about this, though, is that if we have frequencies that we've already identified, we can label those. And as we're searching up and down these ranges and we stop on a known frequency, the alpha tag will tell us that it's known. This makes it a little bit easier because, again, if you're, in, you're just in close call or search mode or something like that, yeah, um, we're not going to know who this is. But if you want to mimic the close call or the search mode, this uh, spectrum sweeper mode, you can always set the attenuator on here and then that would just bring in the local uh, transmissions. So it's kind of a workaround. The other thing that works better too is we can lock out everything that we know already and just continue to look at all the unknowns. So close, this works better than close call because close call, you've got to be really, really, really on top of the, the close signal in order for it to work. And it doesn't work at all on DMR. It does not work at all. That's why I like Spectrum Sweeper because Spectrum Sweeper seems to find frequencies a little bit better than close call because it's actually searching from lowest to highest and going through it that way and just finding the strongest signals. Now, Chris, your second part of the question here is what's the special Spectrum Sweeper? What happens is, is that if a signal is present, Special Spectrum Sweeper will search through the entire one megahertz sample right there in finer and finer steps until the actual source is found, okay? So what's neat about this too is that if you take this one megahertz sample and you lock out five frequencies or five hits in a row, it will just ignore that one megahertz sample and move on. Now, how is this different than zeromatic tuning? Zeromatic tuning basically uh, looks for the actual center frequency and it will go up and down basically and, and look, right? 
And uh, it's slightly different algorithm, I guess. I haven't really played with the pros and cons or, or really understood the difference of it. But from definition, when I'm reading over on Mark Scanners, again, I'm going to read word for word here. It says, if a one megahertz sweep indicates that activity is present, special spectrum sweeper will search through the one megahertz segment in finer steps until the source of the signal is found. If you lock out five frequencies within a one megahertz segment, the scanner will skip that entire segment in subsequent searches. Zeromatic tuning is a feature that enhances the scanner's ability to lock onto an actual center frequency of a search hit instead of an adjacent frequency. This option is available for all limit services and sweeper searches on objects and dedicated searches, with the exception of CB Marine and FMRS, GMRS, and MURS. So, yeah, did not work as expected with the Spectrum Sweeper. But I think we found a unique way that we can set up our scanners that's universal. It'll work on any scanner, any make. And if you have the DMR applied to it or NXDN, it will work on those scanners as well. So your mileage is going to vary. But let me know if this works out well for you. And maybe we'll even do a quick two-minute tech tip on our YouTube channel on how to copy and paste out of a spreadsheet and into EasyScan so that you can create banks like this on your own. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see that upcoming video. No promises as well will be made available. Now, if you're a Patreon supporter at the $3 or higher level, you're not going to get this upcoming break. If you want to join Patreon and help support Scanner School, you can go to scannerschool.com slash Patreon. For everybody else, we'll catch you all in just a moment. Chances are pretty good that you shop online and buy things online. So whether it's Amazon or eBay or Scanner Master, maybe you got a new radio and you're going to buy new software from Butel. You can help support the podcast with your online purchases. If you use our support page before buying things online, you can support our show without it costing you a single cent. So before you buy your groceries, your golf balls, your socks, or maybe a new radio, software, or whatever it is. We would love it if you could use our affiliate links before you make that purchase. And this will help support the show at no additional cost to you. Go to scannerschool.com support to find out how you can help us out. Thanks again. Do you feel lost when it comes to the scanner hobby? Are you looking for someone to answer your questions? Do you have a new radio and you need help understanding how it works? Or are you working on a big project and need somebody to bounce ideas off of? Do you need a little bit more personal assistance than what you can get from an online community? And are you looking for somebody to dedicate their attention and their time to helping you out when it comes to getting you unstuck with whatever it is that you are struggling with when it comes to the scanner radio hobby? I'm here to do just that. See, you can book me for a session right now where I'll sit on Zoom and do a video or a screen share with you just as if I am sitting across the table and helping you out. You can book your tutoring session right now by going to scannerschool.com tutoring. I can't wait to help you out. Unication's G2 to G5 pages are great additions to your radio collection. Not only can they alert you with two-tone pager activations, but they can also monitor your local P25 simulcast systems that many scanner radios have problems receiving. And of course, many of our scanner school listeners are happily using their Unication pagers to scan their local trunk systems. How do I know? Because they've reached out to tell me. My company, East Coast Pagers, is an authorized Unication, Swiss Phone, and Apollo pager dealer. 
We not only support departments and agencies, but also the home hobby user as well. Find us online at eastcoastpagers.com. National Communications Magazine is your personal library of scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, and MURS, and 2A radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio Magazine, as well as backup issues, too. To download your free sample issue or subscribe, visit natcommag.com. All right, welcome back, and let's move on to our next question of the month. This one comes from Jim. Jim, go ahead and ask your question. Hello, Phil. Jim Peruta calling. Got a question for you. It's not really a one that you have to answer in technical terms, but with all the scanners you have, with all the different features you have, have you ever looked at one of the features or one of the settings and say, geez, why did they ever put that in there? Nobody will ever use it. Just wondering if you would comment and let us know which one of those it would be. Kind of an interesting question. I thought you might like to have it. Thank you very much for all you do with the podcast, and we'll keep listening. Hey, Jim. Uh, Very interesting question there. So, yeah, I I think this is an odd one here because I remember back in the day, it's like, why would anybody want to put a clock on a cell phone? Like, I don't need a clock on my phone because I always have my watch on. And now when you say, hey, what time is it? What do you normally look? I mean, I would say most of the time I grab my cell phone to find out what time it is. So following on that, I think that one of the big features that we see in most high-end scanners, again, even on my Whistler TRX-1, especially when it's in charging mode, there's a giant clock on the display. Do I need to have a giant clock on my scanner? Do I need to have a clock at all on my scanner? I, I have never looked at the clock on my scanner and says, oh, it's a good thing that's up there. Now I know what time it is. <laughs> no. But I understand 100% why there is a clock in the scanner. There's, there's a clock in there because a lot of these scanners that support having a time function, first of all, use that time function to timestamp audio files and folders and stuff like that. So it's a very important uh, feature to have inside of our scanner radios. But it's not something I think I ever really needed to have on screen and take up real estate. Because, again, I'm not really looking at the clock on my radio. But there's been radios with clocks forever. At this point, your alarm clock, your car stereo. Um, It's just been the lay of the land to have a clock and a radio together. One of the other features that has been around, I guess, since the dawn of handheld radios has been a lanyard or a wrist strap. And to this day, I don't think I have ever taken a lanyard or wrist strap out of the bag that it has come in and looped it over the little pinhole that's in the belt clip or on the side of the radio. I I just don't. It's just in the way. I, I don't know. I don't use it. I have never really felt the need to put my hand through one and hold on to my radio. But. To each their own, because I get it, right? Maybe you are using it because you put that through your belt loop and then then the radio through that. So you've created a cinch point and then your radio goes on your belt. And now you know that no matter what, that radio is not hitting the floor because even if it does get knocked off your belt, 
it's still going to be hanging from your belt loop from the lanyard. Yeah, it makes it a little bit more difficult to take off and use because now you're always fumbling with the lanyard, which is probably another reason why I don't really see the need for one. But to each their own. Everybody uses their radio a little bit differently. So there's... You know, there's some features out there that I think are, are novelty and a little bit funny, like having the radio beep differently for every talk group or frequency that's on there. That's, again, something that I have never personally used, but I understand why it's in there, right? I understand that maybe that somebody wants to know that this is their home fire department frequency every time it keys up, and you want that beep, beep you know, every single time. Or maybe you want to have the backlight or the little LED indicator come on every time it's a police department or a fire department or an EMS, right? Again, these are all novelty items to me. These are all things that kind of enhance really our visual aspect when it comes or audible aspect when it comes to scanning. None of these really improve the overall performance of a scanner. They basically just improve our perception of how we like the radio. It's a bell and whistle. It is literally bells and whistles here when it comes to these LEDs and the alert tones. So, yeah, I mean, in recent aspect, yeah, there's some things about scanners that that are out today that I think are kind of like, you know, bells and whistles. But there's other things out there, too, that I wish we would see. Right, I wish we would have Bluetooth built in. I wish we would have some sort of voice module that would tell us what the scanner is doing for those who cannot see the scanner. And especially with some of these radios getting smaller and smaller and many of us getting older and older. Uh, also, if somebody's taking out while they're driving or maybe they're using their scanner while it's kind of in a backpack and they're trying to keep things out of, out of sight and they want to know what the scanner is doing without constantly looking at it, Right. Like I said before, my was it $30 Baofeng, maybe $25 when I bought it? The $25 Baofeng radio can tell me, maybe not in the best language, right? But it's $25 radio, and it can say channel one, channel two, right? It has that ability. When I push the buttons, it says four, five, three, right? That kind of stuff would be very interesting to have in a scanner. Even the fact that as you're going down the menus, it can say, um, you know, main menu or search mode, or just something like that. So users know exactly where they are in their menu system. Again, for those who are hard of, of seeing, those who are driving, uh, plenty of reasons, real world examples as to why I want that in there. Um, another thing would be desk stands or desktop chargers. But, you know, I, I can't stand lithium ion battery packs because 20 years from now, you're not going to be able to find that replacement battery pack for your SDS 100. You know, it's just the way things go. So there are plenty of things out there I think are oddball stuff. Plenty of things I think we need that haven't been brought in there yet. But I think, you know, I, I thought about this this response for quite a while here. And, you know, like I'm looking at my SDS 100. And it's like, what on here, just looking at it, is one of these deals that I scratch my head about. And I don't know, you know, again, I I get the whole idea of a color display, but the idea that you can't change the color of certain different types of text, just the whole, like the three sections individually. Um, Color display is cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, when we had cell phones that were just, you know, 
like a Game Boy, right? It was two colors. Those those were like, okay, you know, it's it's the dot matrix green. Everything's cool. Then all of a sudden, one day, you had these like dot matrix color displays. I remember my very first color display phone I got at work, and it was a Sony Ericsson T9 or something like that, T90. And it was a GSM phone just to date it. It was still a candy bar style phone. And I'm like, wow, this is in color. This is cool. And now we've got our iPhones and Android phones and all these other phones that have liquid displays and, you know, 120 hertz of sampling. I mean, 10 years from now, I was going to say, oh, 120 hertz? Ugh, that's nothing. But you get the point, right? I mean, we're watching videos now on a screen. The ability for some of these scanners to only have, you know, the backlight and, a, and and the segment display, I think those days are getting numbered because I think maybe it might be cheaper at some point just to fully move over to some of these dot matrix or color displays. Right now, yeah, maybe it is novelty also. But, you know, there's a lot out here. I mean, look at my 436. And again, you know, it's... Are we going to start seeing things that have USB-C connectors on it instead of these old school USBs? I mean, or even that proprietary, that's one, the proprietary Uniden adapter that I just scratched my head about, right? Why do they use that connector? I, I kind of get it, right? It's a serial connector that, you know, does the job. And, uh, but I think a lot of stuff now is going to, we're going to see USB-C. That's going to be the new standard now, right? So, yeah, when it comes to scanning, simplest thing I guess would be I've never looked at the time on my scanner and I've never used a lanyard. Those are two things I've never, ever, ever used or saw the need for. But again, my use is different than somebody else's use. Maybe somebody else is using their scanner as their clock. I don't know. Very good question, Jim. Definitely made me think a little bit. And I'm curious what everybody else thinks about this question because this is a great one. If you are watching this podcast on YouTube, because this is a video podcast right now, leave me a comment down below and let me know a feature that you think is a little bit strange for the scanner radio hobby. Or go over to our Discord server. There's a link in the description for this podcast to join our community of scan nerds. And you can contribute your thoughts over there. Jim, again, great question. And again, stand by because we do have a free tutoring session to give away at the end of this podcast session. All right, we've got one more question, and it comes from Mike. Mike, go ahead. Hello, my name is Mike Gorman, and I'm a Patreon supporter, proud to be one. Just getting into this uh, scanner again, as I used to do in the 60s and 70s, uh, I am into the SDR that uh, class that you, that you give out. I haven't taken the advanced course yet, and I'm just barely working on the first course. I have two quick questions, and I'll try to make them brief. One is, how can I listen to uh, HD radio? I know it can be done because I've seen YouTube videos of people doing it. And my second one is, is this a plug-in or a software for blind people that use JAWS or uh, or NBDA, which I am legally blind, not totally blind, but partially blind, and I have blind friends, and I want them to get into the SDR uh, part of uh, radio as well. And that's basically it, and you're doing a good job. I listen as often as I can, and you have a good day. Bye. Hey, Mike, thanks so much again for being a Patreon supporter, and thank you for submitting your question. 
So as far as when it comes to working with software-defined radios and being blind or visually impaired, that's that's really a tough spot right now when it comes to software-defined radios because a lot of software-defined radios is very visually um, intensive, so to speak, right? There's a lot of stuff going on on the screen. A lot of stuff is changing in real time, basically. And a lot of the user interfaces are built on platforms that are not supportive of applications such as JAWS. I reached out to the author of SDR++, and that's what he said. He says open. It's based on some user interface uh, overlay that, that he's using to build SDR++ on, and that just doesn't allow JAWS to take apart what's on the screen and make it usable. I have seen, though, that the folks over at SDR Uno were working on something that would work with a screen reader, and I think they were playing around with it. I don't know how far it got in development, um, but there are some people who are using screen readers with SDR Uno, but they aren't able to actually enter into the modules within SDR Uno that actually control the SDR. So that's been a limitation. So basically, you've got the container, and then inside the container, you've got the controls, and then that's where they can't get into. They can't get into the controls. They can just move between containers. So that information is about six months old. I don't know if anything has progressed over there, but this is definitely going to be, you know, you you may have to try out a bunch of these and see if any of these are going to work for you. I even put a uh, request out on Twitter to see if anybody else had any suggestions, and I came back empty with that. So it's maybe still, again, SDR is still, when you look at it, it's relatively new to the scene, even though we've been doing SDRs for about 10 years now. Uh, the software, though, at this point is is changing, and it's changing rapidly, and things are happening and, 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 and progressing in the SDR world. But again, a lot of what has to happen here is um, is very visually intensive, so to speak. I don't have any real suggestions for you, unfortunately, as to what might work. But I'm curious, too, again, if anybody has any suggestions. Again, if you're watching this video podcast on YouTube, leave me a comment down below. Let me know if you know of any SDR software out there that will work with software like JAWS, which, again, is a text-to-speech with feedback type of um, application. Now, to answer the second part of your question about listening to HD radio, this is something I've never really played around with because, again, this isn't something that is just you download the software and you're listening to it. You have to compile it. You have to basically set your Windows computer up with a compiler or compile in Linux and bring it over to Windows. And I've never really just been motivated enough to sit down either from my Linux computer and follow the directions or set something up, and then copy it over to Windows. If it was a simple download this software and hit go and, and execute and you'd be on, on your way, then then yeah, I think I would definitely be be down to playing around with it. But right now, from what I can see, there isn't really anything um, you know, for HD radio for Windows. And it might be. I just, I just haven't really been looking for it because it hasn't been one of these things that hasn't been an itch that I have to scratch lately. Um, Though it might be, because in just five days from now, my local radio station that I listen to out of out of New York City, that plays some music that I really enjoy listening to, is switching to all news. 
so the AM station is going to be simulcasting on this FM station because Audacity feels like they need to have more news outlets in New York. And I have a feeling it has to do something with the electric vehicles, not putting AM radios in cars. Uh, but that's a topic for a whole different style of podcasting here. Now, if I want to continue to listen to that broadcast, I would need an HD radio and I would need to listen to the HD2 stream. Just like on another radio station over here that I used to listen to, that was a country station, they've gone the same route. They are now doing retro 80s and 90s hip-hop, but if you want to listen to country music, you have to go to the HD2 stream. Well, it's easier for me just to stream it through my computer, and that's what I'm going to continue to do once this other radio station decides they're going to go full news instead of listening to HD radio in the car, because I don't have an HD radio in the car anyway. I'm going to stream it, and guess what? My RTL dongles are just on the other side of, of my, my office here. So if I'm going to go through the effort of streaming over there, I'm going to go through the effort of just logging into my iTunes account and streaming the radio that way. But again, as a scanner radio user, that's kind of like, well, I don't just go to Broadcastify and listen to what I'm listening to here instead of having my own scanners. Yeah, I get it. It's a little bit the same, a little bit different. But, you know, when you want to play radio... Yeah, you you got you kind of want to play radio. I understand that. So, Mike, unfortunately, I think you're striking out today as far as it comes with answers from me. Uh, but uh, but yeah, if if it was easier to do HD radio on an RTL, um, I I would bef- definitely uh, have taken that project on by now. But again, it's a good you know a good project to take on, and it's these kinds of projects I'm actually looking to do and create YouTube videos around. Like I want to learn something new and I want to take what I'm learning as I'm learning it, document it and put it into video form and show other people the process as well. So this might be something that I decide to say one day, okay, I'm going to figure out HD radio on my RTL stick and I'll just create a video around it. So again, take a look at our YouTube channel, subscribe over there and see if that video eventually one of these days happens to pop up. Can't promise if or when, but if it does, that's where the video will be. Mike, great question. And again, thank you for being a Patreon supporter. All right. So I want to thank Bob, Chris, Jim, and Mike for submitting questions today for our Ask Scanner School podcast. And as a reminder, I'm answering more questions tonight on YouTube at 8 p.m. Eastern time. If you've missed that live session, you can always go back and catch a replay because they stay published after that live Q&A session wraps up. And if you're a Patreon supporter at the $5 or higher level, and guess what? You're going to join us for our roundtable monthly discussion where we talk about all different things. I mean, it's not even just related to scanning. It's all different aspects of the hobby and radios and whatnot can be found, and we discuss all these different things on our roundtable discussions. And a lot of the times, too, we continue discussions week over week and updates and everything else. It's a good time, and we see a lot of the same people out there, and it's a really, really good part of the community if you want to, you know, discuss this real time in zoom. You don't have to be on camera. There's there's people out there that are shy and turn off the cameras, but to be part of the conversation, I think is really cool. And again, you can join us at scannerschool.com slash Patreon. And as a reminder, I'm looking for questions for next month's ask scanner school. So if you go to scannerschool.com slash ask, you can ask me your questions. You can use our speak pipe link, or you can leave me a voicemail by dialing 516-308-2885. And I will answer your questions on an upcoming podcast episode. All right. So before we end this week's podcast, let's go ahead and award 
one person the free tutoring session for this month. So in front of me right now, and again, I'm still getting used to this recording software here. I'm unable to share my screen, but you're going to take my word for it. I've got a Google random number generator up here, and I've got one, two, three, and four, and we are going to go in order here of Bob, Chris, Jim, and Mike. Alphabetical. Also the answer, the way they were answered here in the podcast. And of course, Bob is one, Chris is two, Jim is three, and Mike is four. All right, so let's go ahead and hit the refresh button here five times. One, two, three, four, five. All right, Mr. Bob, you are the winner of this month's free tutoring session. Reach out to me. I'll give you a coupon code so you can go to scannerschool.com slash tutoring, enter in the code, and get your free tutoring session. I want to thank you so much again for asking your questions. And as a reminder, we will see you all again tonight. Before we wrap up this week's podcast, I want to take a minute here to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Ellen Gonzalez, Arthur Altrack, Arthur Heron, Bill Kay, Bob Ross, Bob Milton, Brandon Sammons, Brian King, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Dave Pasco, David C., David Kosneski, Danny Crotter, Dylan Hyder, Ed Walsh, Edward Bramlett, Glenn Wright, Greg Johnson, Guy Lee, I Hate Junk Mail, Jack Haycock, Jacques Barry, James Broxson, James Felling, Jay Reed, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jeff McLeo, Jenny Taylor, Jim B., Jim Heinrich, Joe Curtis, Joe P., John Cordoff, John Keel, John Sheldon, John Sweeney, John Goldenberg, Joshua Robb, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Lloyd R., Mark Beebe, Michael Gorman, Michael Kroger, Michael Meadows, Mike Lopez, Mike Piltz, Nicholas Stenger, Paul Teal, Ray Hill, Rich Palomari, Ronnie Box, Sal Marandola, Scott Lefgren, Terry Wright, Tim Mazza, TJ, Todd Glendie, and William Arcand. Find out more about Patreon and our support tiers by visiting scannerschool.com slash Patreon. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you again next week. 73.